It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, this is Ollie telling you about another podcast I host, Unfiltered. It's an interview show. We've talked about sex work, addiction, and battering racists. And we're only a few episodes in. Some of the guests so far, One Direction's Niall Horan, GOAT footballer Viv Miedemar, and Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Just search Unfiltered with Ollie Dugmore wherever you get your podcasts. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show Pubcast. Love podcasts, ain't nonsense. <laughs> it's the Politics Show Pubcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Come on. My God. Told you. Told you. I had to do it to him. You're going to have nothing to left. Do it to him. Yeah, I, am. I won't be able to speak for the rest of the podcast. I mean, I'm getting, the voice is getting stronger, I think. It's better than yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no? well, I mean, slightly. Mm. Now, now, I feel like you've just exerted too much. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it hurts right now, actually. Yeah. Ava Santina, Capital J journalist. How are you? Great. Great to be here. So bloody happy to have you here. <laughs> and we're also joined um, by Cal Cashman, the... Well, you're known in the media as the hot Lib Dem, aren't you? The sexiest politician alive, but you are also the leader of the Lib Dems in Liverpool Council. So that's probably the introduction I should give you. Yeah, please, please give me that introduction. But that's secondary, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, how's it going, mate? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've been all right. I've been uh, working in London today. Um, a bit sweaty because I've, I've had to uh, journey across London to get here. But other than that, I'm doing quite good. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing our regular podcast thing, chatting about a few big stories of the day. Mm. Um, I feel like we have to address the elephants in the room, which is that you have been described, as I just said, as the sexiest politician in Britain. So how does it feel, first of all, to be described in those terms in the media? It's pretty, usually a politician, right? You get, you're usually getting absolutely painted by the media. It's usually a pretty bad time. So f- to get some positive headlines like that, it's probably fairly nice. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> well, I, not, not to say that I haven't been uh, pasted by the media yeah. as well, Ollie. Um, but it's, 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 it's a bit surreal, to be honest, because you don't really go into politics to be like the hot lip demo. Mm. Someone said to me once, politics is the thing that people go into and they can't go into show business. Mm. So I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping to God that that isn't the reason that I'm getting called this still- and I'm just a five out of 10. <laughs> <or something. laughs> You've still got time. Was the, um, was the 
the physical the, the, was the gym work did that happen pre-politics or is that something you did you got you got elected and then you want you know a little <laughs> bit of extra appeal so you yeah. start hitting the gym a little uh, bit you say that as if it's like you go to the gym for like two years and then you just that's it you just got yeah, the, gym. Done. Put the gym work <laughs> and then and then that's it now the politics that's how I thought it worked, but that's pretty yeah, yeah. the way I do mate to be honest um, with you. I wish it worked that way um, but yeah it was I was always um, I was always into the gym since I was like 16 years old so that's okay. always been a thing for me and then politics since I was I was eighteen. Um, so both well, the gym obviously just got involved in it through being involved in PE in school, things like that. But then politics kind of was a bit out of left field. I never expected to be involved in politics at all. Mm, okay, so how did that happen then? How did you get into politics? Um, so it was just so I watched the two thousand and ten general election debates, like the nerd that I am, mm. and um, just really fell in love with that. Um, you know, really liked what. Um, Nick Clegg was saying at the time you don't say that word in Liverpool anymore but at the time you know, I really liked what he was saying and a lot of people around the country did as well and then read the manifestos and just you know, what the Lib Dems stood for really stood out to me Okay, and obviously a lot has changed in the intervening period oh yeah um, just a little bit yeah <laughs> and you know you mentioned you mentioned Clegg there and that sort of I call it like a grand, maybe a groundswell of optimism, right, towards the Liberal Democrats. You know, more than fifty seats, a junior coalition partner, um, pretty heavily burned by going into coalition with the Conservatives. Yeah, and a bit of a road back for you guys to sort of navigate back towards electoral popularity again. Yeah, um, I mean, what was your read on that? Particularly, actually, yeah, go on then. So you read the manifesto, you like what you see, and obviously, there's some. But not very many of those things actually happen in government, right? You get what? You get an AV referendum. Mm. Um, obviously, for people of our generation, you're probably talking about tuition fees, right? It's probably the most. Yeah. Not just something that didn't happen, but actually a reversal of it. So how did it feel for you during that time then, having seen a political party that you like, a political leader that you like, sort of navigating a path that perhaps wasn't the one that you were expecting it to? Yeah. So it was, it was difficult, um, but I'm always grateful for it now that I look back at it because it was kind of a, a baptism of fire mm. um, so obviously getting involved at that time when the party becomes really unpopular it really tests your resolve and you know over the next five years there was quite a few difficult conversations on the doorstep and funnily enough I was one of the first ones to go to university when those fees were introduced the £9,000 fee so I felt that just as much as anyone and I'll be the first to say that we got so much wrong where you know people involved were so naive. I don't you know I don't for a second doubt that it was for the right reasons. I just think that it was naivety, and that was probably because we've never been in that position before. Um, one thing it has made me is just really, really glad and feel, know how lucky I am to be in the position that I'm in. So I'm glad that I didn't win straight away or have it easy because. It's made me realise, you know, how much you should be grateful for winning. Mm. Must be a hard fight in Liverpool being a Lib Dem. Oh, it is. But what what people forget? Oh, I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, get me in the trenches. <laughs> but what what people forget is um, we used to run the council yeah. before two thousand and ten, um, and we ran it really successfully as well. Um, at the moment, you know, it's difficult, and people call Liverpool a Labour city, and I don't think it's a Labour city. I think it's a progressive city. Um, I agree with that, but I think that's because it's further to the left than Labour is at the moment. Yeah. So, is there anything like that you're, I don't know, you're putting down that Labour aren't maybe? Um, 
That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's it's been three months now since I was elected leader, so it's still kind of bedding in those things. Um, one of the things that I called for recently, and, and I've called for, you know, all of my political life. I say that as a young person as well. <laughs> a story <laughs> career. I've been around for yeah. <laughs> like 40 years. Um, but I've always called for, for further devolution to Liverpool, and I think that that's quite a, a radical idea. And I think that people in the Labour Party have shied away from that mm. because they like blaming the Tories for, for bad decisions. Whereas I think if you can take your own decisions locally, you can really have that control over your destiny. And I, I just think be brave enough to do that. What's mm. the um, the sort of, if we look at like the national politics, national political picture and the way that Labour is sort of so, riding so high in the polls, right, compared to the Tories at the moment. What's the consequence of that been for you as a sort of, first of all, as a Lib Dem, but also whether it's right or sensible to make that comparison and, and draw a conclusion from what's happening nationally on, on a local level with politics like yeah. being a councillor? So national politics influences local politics massively, and that's something that really annoys me uh, because you put in a lot of work on the ground and there's obviously the issues in the local community. Um, so it has had its impact, and it's very hard to fight against that because you're basically fighting against the Labour Party locally that are very unpopular but are spared on by the national polls. Mm. Um, and it's quite... I find it a little, a little bit strange, and I, I wonder what you think about this because I think the it's, it's a very shallow lead that Labour have got. Not in the sense of how big it is, but what it means. Mm. Um, because I think it's people who just despise what the Tories have done rather than think Keir Starmer is the fella to get us through this. Um, and in Liverpool, you definitely feel that. And you know, as you were saying before, people love radical policies in Liverpool and they just don't see that in Keir Starmer. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, well, I don't know if we'd say the same thing on this, but... I I agree, right? I think that, yeah, if you look at the numbers, 20 points, 15 points, whatever it is, and obviously as far as national electoral politics has gone for a long time, that's a big polling lead. But you look at Keir Starmer's personal favourability, it's low. Um, I think it's, as Cal said, right, I think there's a degree of people getting frustrated with government. I think people want an alternative and as a result of that because of our electoral system that sort of frustration inevitably sort of ends up finding a home in the Labour Party mm. I think um, I think whether or not the scale of what's happened if it I don't know if it would happen on the same scale if he hadn't moved the party towards the right I don't know if, if I don't know let's say Corbyn or even Miliband was still in charge of the Labour Party whether Labour would benefit to the extent that they have done because those kind of floating moderates call them, I don't know, um, you're sort of like Remainer Tories, One Nation Tory type people, maybe sort of home counties, the places where actually the Lib Dems are really challenging yeah. um, the Tories now. I don't know if those people, no matter how bad a job Boris Johnson was doing, no matter how bad a job Liz Truss has done, I don't know if those people would ever be able to actually accept voting for someone like Corbyn. And I wonder mm. how much Starmer's pull the pulling the party to the right means that they actually now will vote for the Labour Party in a way they wouldn't before. It depends how 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 heavily the Conservatives continue to bastardise the economy <laughs> before the next election. Yeah. Because what you vote Conservative to conserve your assets, right? And if you've got nothing left, you might go, well, <laughs> better try someone else. <laughs> but um, I just think that some of the policies or that, that Keir Starmer has been talking about the last couple of months are just 
not in line with Liverpool. Like I think about free school meals and I think that's an issue that is so important to the area. You've got areas of huge deprivation, but you've also got this real community, I hate the word spirit, but spirit in Liverpool that I don't actually think you get in a large sway to the rest of the country. Mm. I mean, what kind of things come up on the doorstep that you don't think maybe Starmer is is addressing? I think the, the child benefit cap, is, mm. uh, is one of them and I think he, you know, the fact that he doesn't want to commit on that just shows you how scared he is to lose that ground to those soft Tories like you say um, but you're right you know, Liverpool is a, is a city of communities that all really care about each other and these policies that he's putting forward I just don't think they identify with with any of them at all um, you know in, in particular you know in the city you're probably getting things such as the NHS like doctor's appointments things like that and I don't really think Starmer's saying that much about them except for let's tighten our belts we're in for a ride here lads um and the people of liverpool and probably other cities around the uk as well are wanting someone to say hang on a minute this is what we're going to do to offer you a little bit more support because at the moment you've got you know, you've got people that are living in situations where they're wondering whether they can buy tea for the for the kids mm. or whether they can you know go go and travel on a bus to go to work and it's just it's incredible and it's really upsetting actually when you see that and those people are like booked to people in the Labour Party and beyond and it makes me makes me sick to my stomach a little bit to know that there's Labour politicians in Liverpool that can watch that and then go and support Keir Starmer in Parliament. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's also a city deep rooted in trade unionism. I mean yeah. it's, it's, you know, forever, which is incompatible with Starmer at the moment. But then Ian Byrne, who is the MP there, well, for part of it at the moment. I mean, he is still a socialist MP. So is he not very popular? Oh, yeah. Ian, Ian mm. Byrne's massively popular. And you might you might have heard about this, but there was a... Um, they triggered a reselection in West Derby for him. And um, there was a lot of... There's a lot of dirty politics involved in mm, that, yeah. by the way. That's mm. what I'm told, obviously. I haven't seen it first. No, I've heard similar. Or um, the guy who challenged him, um, I think he lost by about three votes, something like that. Um, and it was it was a vicious campaign. Steve Rother and other people got involved, but that shows you the level to which the Starmerites and other people are willing to go to get rid of those more socialist-minded MPs. And and don't take me wrong, I'm not a socialist. You know, I'm a liberal, um, but I'm a progressive liberal, and I like to see progressive politics. And mm. it's it's such a shame when you have a progressive party doing things like that to progressive MPs. It's kind of what you the, the sort of premise is right. Um, we mentioned sort of um, electoral reform once and the referendum on it, but if you are going to have uh, a two-party system, the, the the entire fucking point of it is that you have two parties which are broad churches, right? You have yeah. you have um, a Labour Party that can accommodate socialism along with liberalism. You have a Tory party that can accommodate, um, you know, fiscal hawks and social conservatives with, you know, environmental environmentalists and, and all the rest of it. And it's actually an interesting sort of feature of modern British politics is the way that both of the parties in any iteration have polarised, right? Yeah. You know, whether it's um, in the current instance of the conservatives Actually, if to my mind, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but is actually a very right wing government. Rishi Sunak's policy platform is like quite bizarrely socially conservative, particularly in contrast to Boris Johnson. But before that, you know, a party of pursuing a really hard Brexit deal, the same way under Corbyn, um, the Labour Party becomes very, very socialist. 
um, probably doesn't pursue like a factionalist agenda in the same way that the Starmerites and the centrists have. And I think actually probably a lot of those people are regretting now not sort of being more aggressive and possibly purging a more centrist side of the party in the way that they have now been aggressively pursued themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, unless you're going to look at seriously reforming the electoral system, it's hard to imagine a world in which, like, we 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 strike out beyond those those boundaries. Yeah. Mm. Well, as a, as a Lib Dem, you can probably imagine that I really agree with that. Um, and That's I, I've what all, I was saying. <laughs> uh, I've always supported electoral reform, but I think that's a really good point. Um, so people have said to me in the Labour Party that um, the the rights under Corbyn weren't pursued nowhere near the amount that the the left have been pursued under Starmer, mm. and. You know, is that because the the centrists and the right are more ruthless in the Labour Party and they see this as we're not going back there again, mm. or is it is it the fact that the ones who were you know, the, the more left wing types under Corbyn were a bit more accommodating? It's it's difficult to know from the outside, but it's a very interesting battle for the for the heart of the Labour Party. My read on that is that Starmer is incredibly ruthless. I think when he makes a decision, i.e., to purge, for example, the Corbynite faction from the party. Which is a gamble, by the way. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's, that's not necessarily that that was always going to pay off. Particularly on the financial side of things, you, 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 you. Okay, you go after him. Yeah, okay, you kick him out, but then you alienate possibly hundreds of thousands of your mem paying members um, as a mass membership organisation. There's a financial consequence for that. It's not necessary that it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows. They've now turned to sort of more corporate backers to fill to fill that financial hole. Um, and I also my read on what you were saying as well. I think it was maybe tolerance, but. I, from Corbyn in terms of not do, not pursuing a purge as ruthless. I also think it was weakness. You know, yeah. he wasn't as he wasn't as politically assured. It, essentially, every single member of the parliamentary Labour Party at points wanted to get rid of him. Yeah, you know, the, in times various um, various investigations into the Labour Party since have found that, that he literally had you know uh, backroom staff and. Uh, MPs actively actually working against them to stop them from winning, yeah. an, elect from yeah. winning an election. Yeah. So it's a, I think they had and like And the a, briefings, the yeah. briefings against him were extraordinary. I think a, he had a slightly harder gig, whereas now I guess Starmer has like control of the party apparatus, so it's easier for yeah. him to implement things like that, I think. That, um, what you're talking about there, about Ian Byrne nearly getting deselected, that was incredibly ugly. Um, oh, yeah. It's not even like, I think we can kind of talk about it now, about the time they didn't want to, bring a lot of attention to it but then this is not this, this wasn't coming from the Starmer factions um but i mean there were there were like fights in car parks there were brawls it was really really ugly mm. what was going on there it was yeah. like it was quite mafia yeah mafia-esque yeah. that's, that's the labor party on there as he said oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> organized no criminal rackets no accusations <laughs> no names anyway yeah yeah, yeah. just an organization yeah. Do, do you know what <laughs> i think it's it's when it's when an organization or a party or people have been in charge of something for so long, they feel like it's their destiny to be there. Mm. And when you when you decide to challenge that, that's when like you get that pushback. And sometimes the pushback can be a little bit ugly. Um, and you know, Liverpool politics in general has, has been like that for for decades. Mm. Um, but you know, you've you had militants under under Labour, um, and then you've you've had you know the, the issues that have happened. And um, with the, the ex-mayor and the corruption there. So Liverpool isn't a quiet city when it comes to politics, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I would say that the same people have been in charge of things for too long and they take people for granted. And that's why you end up with, with those situations when someone wants to change something 
someone to change someone who's trying to do something for the community. I mean, you got voted MP of the year for, for God's sake. Mm. Um, and then they don't like that because he's got different ideas. I just, I just think that's wrong. It's a bit juvenile, isn't it? It is a little bit, but that's, I think that's politics in general, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Probably, probably. Um, before we start to talk a little bit about, um, net zero and maybe some zero hours contracts if we've got time um you mentioned you started going to the gym when you were 16 mm. what's it done for you i was wondering when you get back onto this yeah we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> um tell me about sort of how where working out sits in your life like what's the differences made to you not just physically but i guess mentally as well yeah so mentally it, it's probably more mentally important than physically to be honest um and i still go now at least three or four times a week i, I just can't go a week without without working out because I, I would probably just go around the twist. Um, it does a lot for me in terms of being able to think, um, de-stress and conversations you have in the gym are a lifesaver sometimes. As yeah, well. go on. So, what do you mean? You just have some of the wildest conversations. Like someone someone was talking to me about jiu-jitsu one time and they literally walked me through exactly what you need to do to be a jiu-jitsu champion. I was like, I'm never going to use this knowledge again in my life, but hey-ho. Um, Mr. Thomas, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant and I wouldn't be able to live without the gym. Mm. Is there much of a community? Where, where, like, where do you work out? Was it like, um, like a community place or like a chain? What's the story? So it's the lifestyles in Liverpool, which is council owned. Um, but I used to go to the village, which you won't know. Mm. Uh, there's a chain around the UK. Um, I've been to pretty much. <laughs> you wouldn't know, not because you don't know Liverpool. <laughs> I know, it's because you're in the gym. <laughs> I didn't mean that by that. That's an absolute fucking bodying. Yeah. That is a bodying. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, what do you think about community gyms then? I mean, like, you know, if you were, you know, you're to become MP one day. Yeah. Would you start campaigning for, I don't know, after school gyms? Like, do you think that's a good solution? Will we talk about, sorry, I'm asking a really broad question <laughs> in a, what I'm getting at is that we've had people come on here before who like to go to the gym. Mm. Um, and they always say that if you could get young people into the gym after school, that yeah. would change the social dynamics in the city, in the city they live in dramatically. Yeah. I think so. I was having a conversation about this um, the other week with the director of public health in Liverpool, actually. And he was saying it's less about going to the gym and more about the behavior change around like what you eat and things like that. So I think that's probably a big part of it. And it's difficult. It's a difficult solution. It's mostly fast problem as well. But um, in terms of a community gym, I think it would be really good. Um, a lot of people aren't, you know, persuaded to go into the gym. They like in Liverpool, they like football and you'll know, go to a football field. But mm. from what I've seen, it's that a lot of people don't know what to do in the gym and it's very intimidating in terms of the environment. So I think if you had a little bit more education around that, but that would probably need to start while they were in school, like so physical mm. education. And that's so that's one thing where I think if I wanted to go into to being like a, a PT or a football coach or something like that. I wouldn't have known how to do that through school, but I would have known how to go to university and college. Mm. And I think too often we send people down one route. And I'm not saying that community gyms should be about to make people into PTs, but if you had, you know, a, like a route into a career, you could you could use that and get and a lucrative one too. Mm. Yeah, well, for some people, if you do the <laughs> online PT and now God, make thousands, I'm raking it in. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking to the the public health guy. 
or girl. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> it was a girl. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're talking to them, I mean, we're talking a lot about NHS waiting lists at the moment. Have you had conversations about the area, about like a multifaceted approach to public health like that? I yeah. mean, the school meals being taken away, local gyms being taken away. It's all connected, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's connected in a... <laughs> It sounds like an oxymoron. It's connected in a loose way um, because at the moment, Liverpool doesn't have control over its National Health Service. It's still with the, the government, but Manchester does have. Um, but it's connected in the sense that you've got like the CCG and the council and the NHS that are all like kind of interlinked in those ways. Um, but they don't speak to each other properly. Um, so that's one of the things that we were talking about and that would transform um, public health. If you could get those people speaking to each other you would you would literally have a different environment to work from, and one of, one of the things. So it, this is like a little bit off topic with, with with that question, but I I used to know someone who was a nurse, and they used to say that like if you had a bag of chemotherapy and it had the wrong person's name on, it'd have to go in the bin. You couldn't change the sticker; it'd have to go in the bin. So I think things like that were like the, the you know the NHS or the council or the CCG is wasting money. Mm. There can be a lot more common sense used with that as well. I know that's like a complete and utter tangent, but just sprung to my mind. We actually, we love a tangent uh, on, <laughs> on this podcast, to be fair, don't we? So it's not, it's yeah. not necessarily yeah. a bad thing at all, mate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Total rhubarb. It's the Politics Show podcast. Should we talk a little bit about net zero, please. Ava, what's the um, what's the latest? There's been some murmurings. Some uh, I say murmurings. I mean, for a long time now, it's been a bit of a pet project, right? Of kind of your your Nigel Farage types, your GB News types to campaign for this referendum on net zero. But it mm-hmm. appears to have gone a little bit further. He's 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 accrued some political capital because of this whole debanking fucking thing. By the way, by the way, um, I saw was it was it Ben Smoke that tweeted today yeah. that how quick how quick uh Priti Patel Rishi Sunak Swilla Bravman were all to, to to publicly talk about Nigel Farage's debanking not a word yet not a yet not a, not a word yet on the two lads who got stabbed outside uh in Clapham in that in that apparent homophobic stabbing um but that's because the banking thing was important Ollie because we all bank with coots <laughs> we do all bank and with it coots. affects the normal working man exactly <laughs> it's a fucking shame it's a damn shame anyway so he's accrued his political capital right he's yeah. become a bit more relevant and so now all of a sudden his his cute little campaign to 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 somehow allow people to vote on whether or not it's a good idea for us to try and reduce our carbon emissions. Yeah. Um, What's going on with this, mate? Okay, so 
David, let's go back to David Cameron. Fucking, okay? we've done Clegg. Right? We've done Clegg. Let's go back. 2010 special, baby. <laughs> David Cameron was the Green Tory. He was elected on a Green Manifesto, okay? Mm, for the next, yeah. allegedly. For the next 10 years, we then had Theresa May, who set this wonderful net zero target of 2050. We are mm. going to be net zero by then. Then we've had conversations at COP 27, 28, whatever we're on now. Mm. You know, it's like the now CDs or whatever. I don't know what we're doing now. Um, <laughs> and then um, where the UN was like, guys, listen, <laughs> this climate change thing, bad. Mm. Going to need to get net zero a bit earlier on. So we were like, okay, we'll pull back. Let, let's float 2030. Let's mm. see how that goes. Anyway, Nigel Farage then got thrown out of coots. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> we've now got conservative MPs on the red wall who are asking Rishi Sunak for a referendum on net zero. Because as you know, the reason that you can't eat right now, mm. the reason that your energy bills are high, is not because Rishi Sunak is flying in a private plane across the world and not dealing with you know, energy, any energy issues at hand. It's because of you, Les. Yeah, it is because of you, Les. I mean, that's interesting. You, you mentioned Theresa May there, right? And that was actually a, a fairly... Were we the first? Were we the first country to do that? To put it into sign it into law? To sign net zero? I think we could have been. I think we could have been. Anyway, certainly pretty radical. Boris Johnson, many faults. But a green, an environmentalist. Green. Green an, Tory, he was. An environmentalist. Um, and, you know, big ULES guy, that guy. Big ULES guy. Big ULES yeah, guy. Some he, even say he came up with it. Yeah, did he not do the first? <laughs> yeah, no, he, he literally put it in, yeah. Very good, And then, Very you know, good. behind yeah. the scenes as well, Grant Shapps as well. You know who else liked it? Him. Yeah. George Eustace, big fan. There, and I saw as well, did I see um, when the COVID settlement stuff was happening for TfL's funding, that there was like a, a stipulation that there was going to have to be some kind of widening of ULES or that he had to increase congestion charging and stuff because mm, yeah. of this funding settlement. Yeah, that was actually, mm. that was a really great moment in time, wasn't it? It was <laughs> Sadiq Khan went to the Department for Transport and was like, no one's using TFL, I've got no money. Mm. And they were like, well, then obviously you just need to put the cost up. Mm. And Sadiq was like, all right. And then all of the headlines briefed by the government were, Shock. Sadiq Khan Shock. is putting up you less. Shock. Shock. <laughs> Sorry, this is a really London-centric conversation. <laughs> Have you ever considered a low emission zone in Liverpool? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Although it could do with it, but I, I won't disturb what you said. <laughs> I'll just take a seat. <laughs> let, your, let your little ULES combo happen. Well, does, I mean, does net zero come up, come up in Liverpool? It, it must do a little bit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of environmentalists um, in Liverpool and a lot of people who care about the climate. The, the air quality is really really bad, so mm. uh, something like ULES, um, you know, wouldn't be such a bad thing. But it, it's so strange because in Liverpool you've got these conspiracy theorists that have taken ULES in 15 minute cities. Oh yeah, and they've, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's incredible. And they've ran with it to mean that you're going to get locked in these um, in these neighbourhoods where you can't escape. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that like we want a shop down the road or like a, a local pharmacy, that means that you're going to get trapped in those places. Very 1984 yeah. type of stuff. We're going to give you a GP close to your home. Don't give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> um, did I... Did I see a story or something about their an attempt to sort of protest or something at the council over a... Yeah, go over on. 15... Yeah. Well, so they were protesting 15-minute cities and what the council was adopting was a neighbourhood strategy, which is nothing new. It just means that you split your you split your city into areas and in those areas you have someone who looks after it so that it, you know people can identify with that community and you can have things within that community rather than you know, city-wide. Uh, so like a, a hub, essentially. And these people conflated that with 15-minute cities and, you know, they had all these strange banners saying, you know, you're not going to take my freedom. 
And he, you know, you, <laughs> you can't put into words how silly that is, really. Um, I don't want to be a dick, but is that not kind of what already happened? No, you. No. <laughs> yeah. no. Is that not kind of what already happens? Because you have, like, catchment areas for schools and, like, catchment oh, yeah. areas for your local doctors and things like that. And, like, no one's ever before been, like, these shackles that are yeah. on me. Like, <laughs> Free me. Yeah. I, I, so it's not a new idea. And actually the model that the council's going to is the same one that the Lib Dems used to have when we ran the council. So it's, oh, here it goes. Another it, drive-by. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just trying to subliminally put that in, like, yeah, every yeah. five minutes. Um, but it's, it's, it's nothing new. So it's really strange how that can be taken, like, another way. But... I think in terms of the air quality in Liverpool, that's probably one of the biggest issues um, that you try and get like a ULES type program there for. What's your buses like? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> got to sort that first then. I know, yeah. Um, it, it comes to something when you, so you've got the city centre and the waterfront and you can't get from the waterfront to the city centre and like yeah. they're, they're right next to each other. It's just crazy. Um, and then, so I ran for Metro Mayor a few years ago mm. and we'd done some figures and we found out that you could fly to Spain faster than you could get from Liverpool to Southport on a bus. Really? Yeah. And I just thought that is that's when you know it's a bit bit messy, like the transport system. Um so yeah, you're right. We need to get that sorted first and then maybe maybe you less further have a down conversation. The line. No, that's yeah. really, but that's a really important point though, right? You know, because um, people who make criticisms of of ULES and and you know, to be fair, not all of them are cranks. Um will say that, yeah, okay, in an ideal world, I wouldn't use my car to make these journeys. But, you know, I live in Plumstead or Woolwich, which are parts of London that don't have particularly good public, uh, public transport connections. Um, there's, you know, there's even like bridges, right? Down what there. are you talking about? What about the Woolwich Ferry? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because there aren't any fucking bridges down there. Um, you know, and, and I also I think actually, right, uh, there are people all over the country who don't live in London listening to Londoners being like, you know, Plumstead doesn't have very good connections to the city centre and they're like, are you fucking mental? I get a bus once an hour that, yeah. that, that takes me like to the next town and nowhere else. What do you mean? It's not very well but connected. But if you look at what Manchester did with the buses, I mean, that was... Yeah, no, and, and bus travel in London is also pretty cheap. You're like £1.50, hop a fare. Uh, it's not actually. It has gone up. All right? <laughs> so if we're going to be a transport nonce, actually be one. Yeah, right? I know. Look, I'm, I'm only dipping my toe in... In, in a pool that you're up to your neck in Do you already. know what? Do you so. know what happened to me last night? I've been yeah. waiting to tell this story. This is, the, tell it. this is the saddest thing you'll hear all day, okay? I'll be the judge of that. Last night, I'm sitting in my living room, mm. having a nice evening, look out the window. What's that? It's a bus. It's the 205. Buses don't go down my road. So I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Mm. So I get up. There's like a full-on riot going on on the bus because mm. it's taken a, a wrong turn and people yeah. are absolutely losing their shit. I'm alone in my living room like, this is amazing. <laughs> it was the 205. <laughs> I was so excited. That's the end of the story. <laughs> it, was just, it was a really exciting it. moment for it. me. Well, in, and then I've got no one to tell. So like, because no one wants to hear about the bus going yeah. the wrong route. So, so now it's going out on a national podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now the world will know. In, in Liverpool, so like in in you're right, it's a different conversation in London, but in Liverpool, I think the bus driver will probably just turn down a direction he fancied. To be perfectly really? honest, yeah, yeah. Whereas in London, you need like five days' notice in writing. Yeah, that's good. There, I mean, if you look at Birmingham as well, like we, when we're talking about low emission zones, if you drive past Birmingham on the I'm going to get the motor wrong. Is it the M62? Don't, don't ask me. M40. No, the M62 London. is Liverpool to Manchester. Yeah, it M is, isn't it? M40 out of London to Birmingham. 
Yes. But you're not on that one. It's on another one that goes around. Anyway, they've made that 60 miles an hour because of the air quality. Oh, I mean, which is, you know, mm. it, do, it does always shock me that like you, you'll, you'll meet the kind of like the tradies or whatever who are normally pretty compassionate towards children because they have them. And then, but will be against yeah. low air emission zones, even though their children are choking on the fumes. Look, I, it's really hard, right? Because who, who in their right mind is going to be like, no, we need more nitrogen dioxide in the atmosphere to give our children chronic lung conditions. Mm. You know, it's, it's not a particularly popular policy platform. But are then, you know, legitimately irate about policies that harm motor travel because as a society, we are so reliant on cars. Yeah. We are so reliant mm. on them all the way through from urban planning. You know, think, I don't know, think of any, name a new build estate, right? Other in where you grew up, near where you live now. And it will be a ton of houses. Um, some of them might have um, off-road parking. If not, they'll have parking outside the front of them. And there won't be any many, many or any amenities in the estate, right? There will be amenities in a shopping park, let's say a 5, 10, 15-minute drive away. Yeah. And, that's, and, and basically, living there effectively without a car makes it incredibly difficult. There's a mad stat I saw. It's 80% of all journeys in Britain are taken in a car. Yeah, and do you know why? It's because of this fact that I've just looked up. We don't have, a good, we don't have good public transport, right? Mm. For example, Leeds... Largest city in Western Europe that doesn't have a metro system. Yeah. I had to check it because I wasn't sure. I like that but, fact. Yeah. Look, like Liverpool has got an underground, but it's not a very good underground. I think, to be honest, if you look anywhere outside of London, you haven't got a good underground. And London London fascinates me as, as a place where you can literally get from, from one place to another so easily. Mm. And it's really not the story around the whole of, of the UK. Newcastle, mm. not bad. Is Newcastle all right? Yeah. Do you know what? I've never been to Newcastle. Should go. I need to get myself up there. On the M62. Yeah, yeah. That goes everywhere. Where are you headed to, France? Take the M62. M62. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I, I think, I think the the issue with the uh, with with ULEs and, and other environmental um, issues is that it's been so polarized. Like you were saying before about your politics being polarized, but this has been polarized to the point where you've got. People who are so anti ULEs, you think it's like the end of the world to impose this on people. And then there's reasonable people in the middle who are like, you know, maybe like phasing in slowly so that people can get used to it and you're not like, you know, charging people a massive amount who can't afford it. But then you've got the other sides who are like the Just Stop Oil side. Mm. And I, I honestly believe that Just Stop Oil puts so many people off the environmental case. And I think they're doing more damage than good. It's, it's, re it's such a shame. Because they're standing for the right thing in a way, because you know, it is true that the environment's on the edge of a catastrophe, but that's not the way to do it. Mm -hmm. And whoever's in charge for PR for them, I just want to take him and give his head the sheik. Yeah. Honestly. But then case in point there would be that they're just trying to not open any new oil fields, but they have been, their narrative has been kind of looped in with the ULES argument and the, you know, dirty air argument. And actually... I don't think they care about... <laughs> I'm sure I they care. I don't think they care about you. <laughs> they're, they're like, we really, we're really just here for the oil fields. Yeah, you know, I'm just here for the oil. <laughs> Drive where you yeah. like, guys, using the old oil. Yeah, you see the sea polluted. Like, just here for the oil, guys. I, I really, um, I find, I think it's a difficult um, conversation to have, right? Because you look at the polling uh, the, and it's something like, I think it's only about 15% of the public actually support Just Stop Oil, right? Because... You, and if you compare that to people who are actually concerned about the environment, yeah. there's a huge gap between those two numbers. Um, and it's because of the tactics that Just Stop Oil have adopted, right? Whether it's 
sitting in the road, slow marching, getting up on top of the Dartford Crossing or whatever, all that stuff that they do. And I hear that, but then the flip side of it for me is if you look at recent years, right, um, Extinction Rebellion, like taking over Oxford Street and building like semi-permanent structures and closing down parts of central London for literally like days on end. Um, and they've been doing that for a, a pretty long period of time now. I don't know if the environment ha- gains the same level of salience in our politics without this extensive campaign of um, civil disobedience, protest, et cetera, that we've been seeing now for the last few years. Like, I, I, I understand completely, and people do, and people really are now pissed off with Just Stop Oil, I think in a way that actually they maybe not necessarily were with Extinction Rebellion, but was I can't remember which group it was now, the ones who glued themselves to trains... That was XR. Insulate Britain. Insulate Britain, yeah. Oh, and, oh, yeah, no, they did. XR, and XR, that guy, he like bike locked his like neck to a steering wheel on a car and just parked the car there and was like, what are you going to fucking do now, lads? <laughs> balls. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, he do have balls to do something like that. Um, and, I've, and I... I And a thin neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big balls and a thin Big neck. Big balls and a thin Great combo. It's a hot combo. Um, you know, you do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? You'd be fine. <laughs> you, you should have landed that joke. Yeah. That should have been. I your know. Own. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, get a room. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but without those protest movements and like people getting pissed off about it, I don't know if it gets the same amount of salience as a political issue without those without those protests happening. Is mm. is the way I kind of see it? Yeah, I, I, I get that, and I think it's a good point. I just. I think you've you've got that middle ground of people that you need to get on board and to get those people on board you've got to make changes without impacting their life massively and it's about that slow 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 process and soft power mm. of like little touch little touch um like a football coach then for some mm. reason <laughs> nice. um but it's I think most people would get on board with the environmental um with with an environmental you know, strategy to, to to get carbon down if they felt like it was going to be something that would, you know, um, correlate with their lifestyle. Mm. Um, you know, if you've got someone going to work and, you know, you've got a fella in front of you on the road, he won't let you go to work, that's going to put you off a little bit. Mm. Um, so it's about helping these people to put these little things into their life where they can actually help the environment but not doing massive stunts like just off oil doing well that's why i didn't understand why labor rode back on their big environmental policy the energy policy where they Mm. were going to open loads of new renewable energy sources because it's like yeah that's a big change to someone's ordinary life having a new job Mm. like you know what i mean like you've got construction there then you've got people to operate the site Mm. you've got new towns probably popping up around there yeah Yeah. i mean it's just but this this goes back to starmer not wanting to do anything radical because he's too scared to do anything radical here he goes yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry i get off my soapbox about okay starmer but i think it you know when his first speech, the conference, I think it was in, when it was in Liverpool, he mentioned about opening a, a British energy company, and yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, I quite like that. It's a good idea. And then he's rolled back on that. He's he's even trying to get um, Sadiq Khan to roll back a little bit on you, Les. It's like how much of you solely losing here for the sake of gaining a few votes, and that's the problem with the environment massively. Is it's so short term mm. that we just we can't do anything about it because. You'll, you'll put a policy in place and in five years you'll need to change that to win people over again yep. so it's just it's difficult because you need to adopt a long term strategy but 
you know, you need long-term planning to be able to do that. Mm. Maybe give it to the Lords and they get decision over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Politics Show podcast. From uh, net zero to zero hours contracts. Yeah, bang. Bang. <laughs> yeah. Go on. You're all weak. Go on. Um, what does that look like in Liverpool? I mean, there was there's news today. There's a good couple of million people who are now on unstable contracts, zero hours contracts. Do you, I mean, people who are in your your ward, do they mm. like the flexibility of not, you know, knowing when they're going to work or do they hate it? I think I think it's quite a divisive one, isn't it? Um, and I think most of the people that I speak to actually quite like it. Um, that's not to say that I completely agree with it myself. Um, I know pe- different people are in different parts of their lives where it might benefit them and it might not. And, you know, the example I give to that is if you're a student it's perfect for you because one week you might have your exams and you might think I can't work and then another week you might think I can do 20 hours here. Um, but, you know, for a mum with three kids who's trying to get by and the only job that she can get is a zero-hour contract job, it's obviously not ideal and she wants that permanence there. I, th- I think in Liverpool um, there's, there's like an attitude of people will do anything for the family. So if someone had to do a zero-hour job, they would do it and they would do it. They wouldn't do it happily, but they would... They will put everything into it to make sure the kids are fed. Um, so I think there's there's a positive to it in the sense that it helps younger people most of the time and even older people sometimes. But obviously there's that downside to it where you know a lot of people are stuck in that and they can't get out of it. Yeah, I had one. Um, my first job was a zero hours uh, contract and it was ace because uh, like it meant I could keep my job whilst I was at uni because I couldn't work, mm. right? I was I was away from home and then back in the holidays, I could work all the hours they gave me because mm. they were there. But then conversely, some of my colleagues who weren't part-time student workers or whatever, who were there for full-time employment, who were also on zero hours contracts and it was their main source of income, it was how they paid their rent, it was how they paid their bills. When winter came around and there were less, sh- less shifts going because yeah. the place was less busy, they're then having arguments with the management because they need extra hours. Mm. They need they need the cash, and there's none going. So yeah, you're you're, you're totally right. It, it it really depends on on who it is, right? It's I think it's um it's almost like it's fine if they exist and you know they're just sort of a thing that people can opt in for. It's less great when there's more than you know one or multiple million people mm. on them, and it's become sort of like a basically just like a relaxation of terms and conditions, a weakening of a weakening of employment rights and, and hours and availability for yeah. people. Yeah. When that is the case, I think it, it is wrong. And there is companies that take advantage of it for that reason. But I, I don't know why there is in the middle ground on this way. You, you know, you've got to have it in legislation or law that you say, you know, after a year of someone being on a, on a, a zero hours contract, you've got to offer them a contract if they want a contract on, mm. on the hours that they've been working regularly. I don't see why we can't do that. Mm. But it's probably because the government don't want to scare off these businesses, I yeah. imagine. There's, there's something just deeply evil in my head that you can potentially fall out with your manager or whoever's in charge of the rotor and then they could just rotor you off for the next week. Yeah. Like that kind of like loose looseness to all of it just yeah, doesn't that, sit that well with me. That definitely happens as well. Yeah. I, I used to do a zero-hour contract as well and you, you have people who have the favourites. You have that 
you know, all the time in, in any part of society. Um, and I was fortunate enough because I was one of the favourites. You know, there was uh, no fucking tons of yeah. shifts. <laughs> Zero contracts. No, I, but I, I, I do. My view is, you know, in some circumstances they're right, in some circumstances they're wrong, and you, you can't put someone at the mercy of, of someone liking them or not liking them. Do you know what I mean? Because people have got different personalities. Some people work well with other people. Um, so I think I think the government needs to take a look at it. I doubt they will take a look at it though. Mm. Yeah, sure. What constituency are you running in? <laughs> are you voting for me? Well, we'll see. What constituency are you going I'm, for? I'm not. Um, I'm not running for parliament. Um, so yet, yes. Well, I, I used to want to be an MP, but I don't anymore, just because I see how much stick they get, and it's just. It doesn't seem worth it. We've, um, already, we've already discussed the headlines you get, pal. It would, yeah, not, exactly. it would not be, oh, fucking, he's done a terrible job as MP. It would be sexiest MP in the country. So, <laughs> yeah, he's feeding on. the children. Yeah. <laughs> it, depends how long it, yeah. <laughs> it depends how long it takes and how long I can maintain this yeah. for, to be honest. If it's 10 years, then maybe not so But, much. you know, if you have been in politics since you were 18, obviously you, you maybe have, have your eyes on doing something, progressing up the political ladder. You know, you started as a council. You're the leader of the Lib Dem council now, uh, yeah. the Lib Dem in the council now so you know uh, bigger presence on the council yeah then perhaps you know a metro mayor's gig what are we what are we saying <laughs> metro, the metro <laughs> i bet ed davy is round like you've been with him today or you've been with him what yeah, recently yeah. Today, yeah i he must have said something like come on now pal yeah, i've got a few places i can stick you <laughs> <laughs> well we've, you know. we've got some really good people in like in the seats this year you know tom morrison in, in Cheadle, which is one of the closest to me and, and tom's amazing and a good friend as well um but in terms of what i want to do like i want to i want to take liverpool council back for the lib dems and change people's lives again you know, some of the stuff that we did we took the lowest band of earners in the council and we raised them up a band so we eradicated the lowest band and it's just you know, things like that, you're impacting people's lives. And I think as an MP, you know, one of 650, sometimes you don't get that much influence. Mm. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, should we call it there? Yeah, nice. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, having you on. I know we've got no water left, but cheers. Cheers. We'll have one of these. Very good to have you with I'm us. Tell people it was water because at least uh, I'm telling there was people it was some water. illusion. Everyone who's been listening to this podcast knows what fucking mental state I've been in for the last two days. <laughs> yeah. There's absolutely no chance I could have touched a pint. I did suggest on a of beer before records. you came in, and he honestly looked like he was dead behind the eyes. I was like, yeah, like Vietnam, <laughs> yeah, no. Vietnam flashbacks to being in the streets of Prague, <laughs> people throwing pints at me. Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. We will see you on the next one. Until then, bye bye. Thanks for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, I reckon you'll also enjoy unfiltered our interview podcast here's a little taste of the episode with gary lineker i love my life i enjoy i enjoy fame people are lovely it's so easy to be distracted by the tiny percentage on on twitter in the real world it's not like that at all i think i've had only two instances in my entire life where people have had a pop one old lady elbowed me in my back <laughs> she was on her way to a tommy robinson rally really yes okay the nice old lady she gave me whoa, yeah and then i had another one where i was going shopping my groceries and some bloke shouted out of the road you hate britain you hate britain don't you <laughs> no i really love britain but anyway that's unfiltered with ollie dugmore wherever you get your podcasts why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.